When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey out there, rock and rollers. Welcome to episode number 141 of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast. Brought to you by me, your host, Mac B. The Wolf. And I will be joined, as always, by my partner in crime and co-host, Gary Action Jackson, from the East Coast of the United States of America. And thanks to everyone who's been listening lately. Our last episode on Motley Crue's Shot of the Devil as it turns 40 was very well received. The show before that on us seeing Iron Maiden live in Europe in Amsterdam and Antwerp and bumping into Bruce Dickinson and Adrian Smith at the hotel. Well, that went very well. We thank Uncle Steve from Uncle Steve's Iron Maiden Zone for coming on and helping us with that one. I guess their tour of Europe is over now and they're going to come to Canada for some dates. And I think a big festival out in Indio, California uh, in the fall here. But I think that's going to kind of wrap it up for 2023. So I'm curious to see what the Iron Maiden guys will be doing in 2024. Hopefully, it'll include a U.S. tour. This week, we're going to celebrate an album by a band, one of our very favorite bands. and It's called The Ugly American Werewolf in London because I used to live in London, and that's where I started the podcast. And a band that came out of London in 1962, been around more than 60 years now, and that's The Rolling Stones. Of course, you listen to our episodes from last summer. I got to see The Stones a couple times in Hyde Park, on their 60th anniversary tour, their first two shows ever in London without Charlie Watts. And that was fun for me. You know it's not going to be the greatest show ever because they're old, because you're in a huge place with 100,000 people or whatever, but it's still fun. It's a great way to celebrate their music and go have some fun, be outside in the park, enjoy summertime in London. And so today we're going to review their album Goat's Head Soup, which is turning 50, and it's kind of a bit of an odd one. I mean, the Stones had this huge run of Let It Bleed, Sticky Fingers, Exile on Main Street. And that was a double album from 1972, which we reviewed last year as well. So Goat's Head Soup is one that's kind of the odd man out. It's got some experimental stuff in it. It's got the boys playing different instruments than they usually do. And though it had a big hit with Angie, huge worldwide hit, and Heartbreaker, or do-do-do-do-do Heartbreaker, they both did well. But there's also songs like Winter, 100 Years Ago, Some songs that they don't play on the radio that are actually pretty good. And not too long ago, they did a Lux reissue of Goat's Head Soup, which included a few unreleased gems, including Scarlet, which included the legendary Jimmy Page on guitar. Now, we're going to talk about all that here before it turns 50 on August 31st with our friend Mark from Performance Anxiety. Performance Anxiety is a podcast. It's it's about music mostly, but it's also about a lot of creatives. You'll have chefs and photographers on there and talk about how they got into being creative professionals and things like that. Over 300 shows. And he's got a lot of energy. He's got a fun vibe to him. The other thing that's interesting about Mark is he is not a huge Stones fan. And he's not a very big Mick Jagger fan, as you will hear on the show here. But he's fun to talk to. He's got a lot of passion and knowledge for rock and roll. And we had a good conversation. I think you'll enjoy it here as we get into Goat's Head Soup. 
Now, a little bit of business first. Like market performance anxiety, we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast Network, a network of about 100 different music shows. Not all rock and roll. There's something in there for everybody. But it includes the new Metallica Report podcast, coming straight from Metallica World Headquarters with the band's approval. And we've hopefully got some cool stuff to talk to you about that here coming up real soon. Glad to have them as part of the Pantheon family. But of course, we have to mention our sponsors, RareVinyl.com. Look, guys, I've seen a lot of people using the RareVinyl.com and using our code UGLY to save themselves 10%. And that's great. Record collectors, Stones collectors, you got to head to RareVinyl.com and use that code UGLY to save 10% off anything. They've got so much stuff. They've got so many Stones items in there. Rare stuff, box sets, imports, singles, box. I mean, whatever you're looking for. They've got a lot of it in there. So go to rarevinyl.com, use the code UGLY, and you save 10%. And they ship all over the world. They take great care of their stuff. Based in the UK, I've met their team. They're super folks. And every time you use that code, it really supports our podcast. So while we want you to download and subscribe wherever you get your podcast, maybe consider leaving a five-star review because that helps us find more rock fans like you. But also... Use your one-time code UGLY at RareVinyl.com. Buy a bunch of stuff. Save yourself a bunch of money, 10%, when you use the code UGLY. Now back to Goat's Head Soup. It's rare that you find someone say, this is my favorite Stones record in their catalog. And it's still the McTaylor years, which we say is the highlight of the Stones career, but a little bit of a hangover maybe left over from Exile on Main Street, which was a double album. Mick Taylor's starting to become a little more jaded with the fact that he doesn't get writing credit. And Mick and Keith are still upset about the whole Alan Klein thing and them taking half of their royalties. So it all maybe kind of came to a bit of a head here on Goat's Head Soup. But because they were still exiles, they couldn't spend that much time in the UK. They're running around the world, three, four, five different studios maybe, cobbling this together. Keith playing a lot of bass. Mick Jagger playing guitar and piano at some point, using three different piano players. Somehow they strung it all together. It's not a real cohesive album, but it does have some cool stuff on there. So as it's turning 50, we thought it'd be a fun time to walk through this one. So kick back and relax. We're going to talk with Mark from Performance Anxiety about Goat's Head Soup by the Rolling Stones as it turns 50 right here on The Wolf. Anything really interesting in doing the research or giving listens to this that you felt about uh, Goat's Head? Yeah, I'll tell you that it, this is kind of the redheaded stepchild of, of, of the, Mick the Mick Taylor. Taylor. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Just because, I mean, I don't, I wasn't really familiar with too much other than the, you know, kind of the hits that came off of here. So it was just, it's interesting to get into this where. I think a lot of people just kind of gloss over this one onto the next stuff. Mm. I also want to know too, you know, they, they mentioned that waiting for a friend was done at this time. So if I ever get to talk to Keith, that would be one of my questions is, did you not like it? Did you think it was, didn't fit? What was it that you said? Nah, no, maybe it wasn't ready, right? It wasn't in its final That's the other thing too. Maybe, maybe they're going to tell me that, yeah, we kind of wrote it, but what you hear on tattoo you is not the same song. Mm -hmm. So who knows? But it's interesting that they kind of kept that like, hey, remember that one? I think we've got it now. I think we can we can use it. And I also didn't realize that that's Mick Taylor on the track, even though it's 1981. Oh, yeah, I guess I had forgotten that. Yeah. Because so. the, the tattoo you, you know, redo, what are they ever they call it? Remix with a bonus CD is basically a whole nother record, uh, a, a whole second record. Although some of it was like, what was the big one off there? 
Start Me Up? Yeah, Start Me Up was more of a reggae thing, I think, the first time. Or the yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I, or yeah like I remember hearing that. You know, who and who knows? They did this in Jamaica, so maybe they came up with that at this point, too. Who? I have no idea. But, um, yeah, it's interesting how, you know, we, we've talked about this before, where some people have no bonus material. Like, they, you got to mm-hmm. write 10 songs, we write 10 songs. And then some people have a, a ton of stuff. Yeah. And speaking of that, I did watch that Tom Petty deal on the plane ride home Pretty good, and huh? it was interesting where they came up with basically two discs worth of stuff yep. and the record company was like yeah we're not putting that out but it eventually saw the light of day right but i mean at the time they're like double albums don't sell cut this down so. but it's in- it's interesting too because this was still the you know i know the last one was exile on main street but they're still exiling at this point in time yeah and you know coming off exile i mean nothing's going to be as good that exile. that yeah <laughs> that's that's part of the problem is yeah what where do you i mean you're you're in the stratosphere now what are you mm-hmm. going to do it's going to be a disappointment hi this is steve hackett and you're listening to the ugly american werewolf in london hello pantheon podcast listeners christian swain here to tell you more about my experience with raycon earbuds Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey guys, Mark. How are you? Good evening. Good. How are you doing? Doing super, man. Hey, well, thanks so much for joining us here. First time we were really spoken face to face, such as yeah. it is. Yeah. Welcome to the Ugly American Werewolf in London, man. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you guys for for inviting me to do this. This is good. And I will make a disclaimer, a couple of disclaimers actually, to start off with. All right. I am not a huge Rolling Stones fan. All right. I, I'm not a fanboy. I'm familiar with them and, and the legacy. I like this album a lot, and I. It's a weird album, which is why I, I kind of wanted to do this one. So, but I'm not like an ultra mega super fan. So I. Well, that's that's good because you'll call them like you see them. Then good. All right. Good. Yeah. Yeah. And if and, I find a stupid joke, I will probably lean into it hard. All right, yeah. that's good. Perfect. We need some entertainment on this show. <laughs> this is how we do it, man. We kind of give a sense of where the band was at the time. Like, you know, what was the state of the band? Which album did they do previously? What was going on in the world? That kind of stuff. So that we understand the moment in time that this music was created. Perfect. But generally, first we do, how did we come to this personally? 
to the Rolling Stones, that might be a big conversation. But <laughs> but you can give a sense of that and kind of say, you know, how did you come to Goat Said Soup and get to know this stuff on here? Sure. Uh, so since you are a guest, why don't you start us off with that bit? Sure, sure. I I have a strange thing about so everybody knows the the competition between Beatles and Stones. You know, back then when they were huge, you were either a Stones fan or a Beatles fan. Right. Well, my mom, I don't my mom has been a politician because she loved them both. I see. <laughs> and she was I think she actually liked the Beatles a little bit more, but she did love the Stones. And she would go and, and get mostly greatest hits albums. Okay. And so my introduction to the Stones, the Beatles for that matter, was was through like uh, other greatest hits albums. Hot Rocks. Yeah, hot, exactly. That's that's mm-hmm. the first one that, that that I remember listening to. Sure. And you know, there's this Angie and, and all this, and that's really how I started getting into the Stones. And I'm very particular about my Stones and my Beatles. Okay. I don't really care for either band's early stuff. Once they started getting more experimental, you know, like, like um, Revolver, Rubber Soul for the Beatles and the Satanic Majesty's Request and all about the Stones, that's when they really started to pique my interest, when I started hearing that stuff. Okay, good. And, and so that, you know, this, this album, I discovered kind of, it was one of those albums, it kind of freaked me out because I can't even remember where I first saw it, but the cover mm. really freaked me out as a kid because mm-hmm. it, it I thought it looked like Mick Jagger's head wrapped in cellophane, like like at a Hickory Farms gift basket or something. Yeah. I was like, "True, I don't want anything to do with this." <laughs> but as I got older and I started listening to the song, getting past the weird artwork, the weird cover art, I I started to to listen to it more. And it's it's a very strange album. In I think maybe like a, a almost a transformational album in the Stones canon. So when we when we actually get into the album, that will you know I'll definitely explain what I mean by that, but. Yeah, but, we're, yeah, and we're with you there. I mean, it, it's a change, but I mean, you yeah. know, and we'll talk about it in, in a second here. But after you do Exile, anything's going to be downhill a bit on some score, right? Exactly. Exactly. You And that run of albums was just phenomenal, you know, otherworldly. I mean, yeah. there's very few bands that can claim to have a run like Beggar's Banquet, Let It Bleed, Sticky Fingers, and Exile on Main Street. So, like you said, anything. <laughs> The fact that they could put those four albums out in a row is unbelievable. And you know, very few bands can do anything. There's Beatles, the Stones, Led Zeppelin, and Pink Floyd. Pink maybe. Floyd, yep, there you go. We were right so there I, on that, yeah. Yeah, so that, that's, that's the only ones I can think of that could, that were able to put quality, you know, almost untouchable albums out, multiple untouchable albums out in a row. So, so, so how did you get to Goat's Head then? That was basically just by hearing greatest hits albums and wanting mm-hmm. to dig deeper. I gotcha. Okay. And so, and again, it's it's like it's not my favorite Stones album, although it has, I think, maybe one or two of my favorite Stones out al- songs on it. See, so, it's one of those. You know, it, it, it's not it, like it's a ten out of ten, and you listen to it up and down, and we right. recommend it as you got to hear this one, guys. But it's got part so the, many good stuff on. Part of the thing is I don't like Mick Jagger. What? (laughs) Personally or the way he sings? Well, you know, he's kind of a dick. (laughs) I don't, when he sings songs like like Moonlight Mile, one of the most amazing rock songs ever, songs written, and his performance is legendary on that. It's incredible. But when he starts doing that screeching, sounds like a choke 
chicken kind of thing. I can't <laughs> get into I hate that. And that's that's why, like I said, I'm very particular about stuff. So even the albums that I like, there are I, there are songs where, I, where he starts and ah, I'm like, I'm I'm out. I cannot handle that. He's oh. uh, his vocal style on some songs, his preening around. His, I don't know. It's just <laughs> it's sometimes it's just, I think what it is for me is he's just too over the top and it almost comes across as comical. Even when he's trying to be like sexy or sensitive, it's it, it becomes oh, too over the top. Well, see here, this is now in the 70s where, in the early 70s, where suddenly it's not just chicks scream at you and you run off the stage, right? Suddenly you have a paying audience who's there to see you play and you got to give yeah. them the show. And here he is really doing his bump and grind stripper thing over the top, kind of at, well, I don't know if I call it the height of the Coke years, but it's got to be close. And so that <laughs> plays into the whole thing as well. Now, and I'll let you, of course, add on to what I'm going to say, Jackson, you know, because we had kind of a similar thing. We also grew up listening to Hot Rocks and stuff. When Steel Wheels came out, we were in high school. We went to see those shows. Uh, um, and uh, and then, you know, of course, we wanted to, to learn more about the back catalog as well. When we were together, we got Let It Bleed and we played it into the ground. Also at the CD shop, Park Avenue CDs across the street from our college, I picked up Rewind here for like six ninety nine used. Nice, and um, you know, and I got introduced. I mean, yeah, you know Angie, but you know they didn't play Heartbreaker on rock radio a whole lot back then. I believe the actual title is Do 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 Do. Yeah, we do Heartbreaker, which we will refer to it as Do 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 Heartbreaker or some variant thereof. Yeah, my variant is Heartbreaker. But but also uh, and so and we love the Stones. We love Keith. You know Keith's our guy. We like his solo records. You know, and we went to see him uh, Voodoo Lounge together when we were in college together. But the summer uh, of 1994, I guess it was. I went to Cambridge, England, to study for a month, and in the square every day, you know, they would have wares out there for you to buy food, stuff like that. They had a big bootleg CD tent and they had the Brussels affair, 73 Brussels affair. And I bought it, you know, and I played the heck out of that. And it was just like, because I was used to Ronnie Wood stones or, or maybe even Brian Jones. And I'm like, God, this big Taylor guy is unbelievable. You know, that, that slide guitar is so amazing. And it changes and shapes the stone sound in such a way, you know? Yeah. And so yeah. J- Jackson and I are talking about, you know, one day we got to just kind of do a show on the Mick Taylor years. I'm like, well, we're going to do all the albums eventually anyway. In fact, yeah. we've already done Let It Bleed, which you didn't get full credit on, but you know he's on there. Mm-hmm. We did Exile last year when it turned 50. We're doing this this year when it turns 50. I guarantee we do It's Only Rock and Roll next year. So, um, oh, yeah. so that's, that's kind of, yeah, that's kind of went into it from there. And then, but then, you know, I put it down for a while, but then when they put out the deluxe edition that had Scarlet um, oh. and uh, and the others yeah. we'll get to. Um, That's the song that got me back into listening to the album. Well, yeah, it's I had to be when the issue came out. I, yeah, I hadn't heard. Well, see, that's the thing. Keith, Richard, Keith Richards is great. Love, love is playing. The guy is so unique. You can pick him out. But Jimmy Page is my guy. Mm. Jimmy Page is my guitar idol. And when I started playing guitar, that's who I wanted to be. Sure, and I I'm awful at it, so it does you know, it obviously never went anywhere. But that's the guy, and and I, 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 when we get to it, I've got a story about Scarlet, but I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll wait till we get there. That's fine. That's all good. But but go ahead and elaborate, Jackson. Is I'm not stepping on your toes. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so Jackson I think said much yet. 
<laughs> I'm getting there. I got to get warmed up here. <laughs> so yeah, I think probably my first introduction to this record was Angie. And I never liked that song. And I still don't really like it. I think it's whiny. Thank you. But then I heard, yes, hold sir. on, do, 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 do. <laughs> heartbreaker and that's way and then so i'm like well now wait a minute maybe maybe we maybe we can salvage this thing but i think in in looking at this kind of in listening to the record and in and in looking at the kind of where they were i think this was kind of the the point in time where mick and keith started to peel off from each other like mick was starting to become mick jagger you know like you're saying the strutting around on stage and you know all about the chicks and being famous and uh, Keith was more into doing drugs right. and hanging around. But, you know, it's interesting. Part of the thing, too, is you were talking about Mick Taylor and how he can play. But in looking at this, Keith plays a lot of bass on this. Yeah. And when he's on the bass, he's pretty funky. Like, no offense to Bill Wyman, but he's he does something different on the bass. But yeah, I mean, this this was never one of my favorites, only because you know I had um, I had Sticky Fingers, I had mm-hmm. Exile on Main Street, so this one just I kind of got glossed over. But yeah. in going back and listening to it now, yeah, th- I wouldn't say it was ten out of ten, but it's definitely got it's got some interesting tracks on there, and it's a pretty interesting album overall. It's almost interesting for its lack of perfection compared to the other four, the previous yeah. four. Yeah, and I think that probably had something to do with the fact that, again, I mean, even though the last one was called Exile, they still were exiled at this point in time. And I think they ended up yeah. in Jamaica because they, you know, nobody else would take them. So you're still kind of <laughs> on the run. And, you know, when you're yeah. there, you get to work with different people. So, I mean, I think that just led to a kind of a funky sound also. Yeah, and, you know, it's I was reading some the some of the uh, original reviews and a lot of critics panned this album at the time, too. They felt that the, the band just kind of phoned this one in. Yeah, Even but it was still popular, though. I mean, it's still, oh, yeah. it sold incredibly well, it went to number one in the U.S., it went to number one in the U.K., you know, it went it went to number one in all sorts of countries all over the world, you know, uh, and so... But was that based on the, the, the previous four that it went, you know, not, right. not necessarily yeah. on its own merits? And what I thought, what I found was really interesting, and I didn't know this until I started researching for this show, was that the Stones didn't even have a whole lot of faith in this album, I don't believe. Because because when they when they went on tour, they only picked four songs from this album to play and they kind of grouped them all together somewhere like in the first third of the show and then that was it. It was done. And then they went back to the to the other stuff. So I don't feel like the Stones even had a whole lot of faith in this album. Well, it brings up a good point of like where were they at the time? What was going on with them at the time, right? They mm-hmm. they'd done Exile on Main Street the, the, the previous year with all the drugs, in the south of France, double album, their magnum opus, best overall album, high watermark for them. They do the big North American tour, huge. They got to move from Switzerland to Jamaica, to California, to <laughs> back to England for a while to try to cobble all this together. And it's a weird time, you know. They're still kind of pissed off over the whole Alan Klein thing. That's still pretty raw, pretty new to them. They've got... Uh, Jimmy Miller, he's been doing great work with them, but now the weight of Keith is starting to pull Jimmy Miller down. This is his last, you know, with them. Yeah, I think uh, Jimmy Miller started getting hit pretty heavy into drugs at this point, too. That's exactly right. They don't do any covers, and that's the first time since Satanic Majesties that they didn't do that. True. Mick Taylor is doing some good work, but he's not getting credit for it. I think that's starting to wear on him. Plus, he's getting pulled into Keith's orbit as well. 
And oddly, Bill doesn't contribute a ton on this one. So it's, it is a strange one. It has some hits. It went triple platinum in the U.S. And it's probably done a lot more since the last time they really went out and certified it. Angie was a huge hit around the world. And we'll, but we're going to go track by track here. But it was the whole exile thing was tough on them. And yet they make a masterpiece. So they had money. They had opportunity. And they just kept, the train just kept going. I mean, it's not like now where bands take four or five years to make an album. Like, oh, we made a double album next year. Well, what, last year, what are we making next year? You know, we, we got we, yeah. we to keep at it. And I exactly. wonder too, we were, you were talking about Bill Wyman. I wonder, I know on, on Exile, like they just kind of did whatever they felt like. Like they'd, they'd record at three o'clock in the morning and then, you know, Wyman wasn't that guy and he'd show up at 8.30 and they're like, Everybody's asleep and we already got half the album done. So I wonder if that was taking its toll on him too. Like, was that part of this record where he was just like kind of catch his catch can on the recording? And if you're not there, then you're not on the track. Sorry. That's quite possible. Yeah, but That's they've also point. got a lot of great piano work here. I mean, Ooh. lots of Nicky Hopkins it's, on here. You can hear when Billy Preston's playing his, his electric thing. And yeah. you've got a little bit of stew on there. Ian Stewart doing his thing on some really? stuff. And and yeah, that's part of it too. Like, is is that part of the icon? Even though even though those guys and Bobby Keys were not technically Rolling Stones, I mean, that's a big part of the sound, especially in this era. Yeah, 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 huge. All right, well, let's dive into it, boys. Uh, so we're not up, you know, too late tonight. Um, <laughs> we're not the Stones. Stones? <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, exactly. You know, I can't do it like they. My God. No, all right. We'll start off with dancing with Mr. D. Now, this to me is a very interesting and a little odd way to open the record. It's It's got a kind of groove to it, right? You know, it's talking about down in the graveyard where we have our tryst, you know. It's a little slower. I, on the Brussels, uh, the, the original, not the, the one they released, but the bootleg that I bought back in the day. This is it's better live on that. It's got a, It's a little bit more upbeat to it. There's a little more tempo to it. Don't love this one. I, I just... I, I don't dislike it. I just don't like they open the album with, to be honest. Groundbreaking, yeah. It's not. I mean, Mick Jagger with with cheesy devil references. Uh, you know, it it sounds like he's, they're trying. He's just trying too hard to sound wicked at this point. You know, I mean, they they went through Altamont and and yeah. all this other stuff, and now it sounds like he's okay. We we had all this hard. Now I've got to try to sound badass and wicked. And I mean, and the title "Dancing with Mr. D." I mean, I, I, I'm thinking. Every time I hear this, I'm thinking dancing at Captain D's. <laughs> and I'm picturing like Mick Jagger dancing inside a fast food restaurant with like a, a, a cartoon sailor, kind of like Paula Abdul with MC Scat Cat. Oh, that's that's the visual I get every time I hear this. And it, it's not for the music, it's just for this for the ridiculous Jagger lyrics, which is what I, which is one of the reasons that like I said I don't like Mick Jagger. He's either writes amazing lyrics or incredibly dumb lyrics and this to me are the incredibly 
dumb lyrics. See, I thought you were going to say uh, Mick Jagger dressed like Judge Reinhold from Fast Times with the pirate outfit on. Ooh, <laughs> that's even better. <laughs> You don't See, have, I, then you don't have to pay for the CGI. Correct. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I, I mean, I've been listening to this. It, it sounds like the Stones trying to write a Stones song. Like we've got it. We've got to be nasty. We've got to be, That's you know, perfect. Uh, dark. So yeah, here you go. We can. We'll do this. Yeah, uh, let's kick the album off with. Yeah. 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 And, and, and that's the mistake too. I mean, they, they use it as a B side on do 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 do. You know, so it's like you start the album off with your B side. <laughs> you know that doesn't make any sense to me. I didn't even realize that. Oh my gosh, they, so uh, that, that's not a good start, right? You know, so and yeah, December of '73 is when they did Heartbreak with Mr. D's on the other side of it. They only did two <laughs> singles, you know. Um, so that's that's he's bizarre. So it better live, but it's still not. I mean, I wouldn't pick it out. And you say they didn't play that many new songs, and that's one of them. You know, that just seems oh. like a, a wasted opportunity to me. I, uh, uh, let's move sure. on, though, you know, because yeah. 100, 100 years ago, now this is better. You know, th this has got some cool stuff on it. Billy Preston on the top of that, I picked him right up. Like, is that Billy Preston? It's like, yeah, yeah, that's him right there. It gives it a little bit of a soul feel to me. It's got a little psychedelic funk almost, you know? When I'm walking through the wood the other day And the world was a carpet laid before me The birds were bursting and the air smelled sweet and strange Seemed about a hundred years ago Mary and I, we were set up on the gate Just gazing at sunrise and the sky it's definitely an improvement for me. It's definitely a step up from Captain Deets. But <laughs> the, the lyrics to me, a little cheesy. And I don't know if maybe it's just because of the era I grew up in, we grew up in, that the lyrics sound cheesy to me. Maybe when I heard, if I had heard them brand new, I'd be like, oh, this is, this is beautiful. But <laughs> I know it just, just seems a little cheesy. The guitar is amazing. But it, I mean, it might as well be Cream Eric Clapton with that dirty tone in the walk. I know, and I know it's you know the Keith isn't even on this one. I don't think it's it's all Big Taylor. I think but, Keith is playing uh, bass on this one. Okay, yeah. yeah so so yeah. the uh, the guitar is all Mick, and I love the sound, but it sounds way too much like Clapton. I mean, it, it's it's really leans heavy on on Cream. Yeah, to me to me it sounds like two different songs. You know, they kind of yeah. start off slow, and then at the end, like he's ripping it up. But it's like, okay, what what are we? Did you just get bored and now I want to play fast? I don't know. I, yeah, I think um, Mick got tired, or not, uh, well, Mick Taylor got tired of Mick Jagger's Lazy Bones section because that's <laughs> that's the section that I really don't care for. <laughs> Lazy Bones. <laughs> well, Keith is always the one who does it slow. It's like everything's a ballad when Keith is writing it, and then Mick's always like, "We gotta speed this up, man. We gotta do this live. We, I gotta be able to dance <laughs> and move to it. You know, it's gotta be more of a duke to it. You know, I, something interesting that I learned was." They played this the first two nights of the Euro 73 tour. And in 50 okay. years, they've never played it again. Wow. Mm -hmm. And so oh. maybe there's something to that's starting off slow and then it builds up over time. And that's not, you want to get into a groove and stay there. You don't want to mess with all that stuff. Not to mention, yeah. it's another one of those, Keith is not playing guitar, he's playing bass on it, right? So, True. you know, he's, he's got nothing to do now if they, they do it today or they did it in 80, you know, nine or whatever, you know, so... It's uh, it's interesting that they they've barely ever played that. Yeah, I didn't know that. Wow. 
Yeah. And another one that apparently they've never, ever played, at least Keith has never, because, you know, we love Keith, and when they do the two Keith songs in the middle of a Stone show, we like to take bets on which one it's going to be, which one do we want to see, all that kind of stuff. He's never done coming down again with the Stones. Oh, wow. And this is his vocal on the album, his lead vocal on the album. song a lot and i've never really been a huge fan of, of horns brass woodwinds in, in rock i mean i know saxophone is huge in early rock springsteen couldn't have you know survived without it i've never been a huge fan of it i'm, I'm a guitar centric guy yeah but I, I like this i i really like this and the one thing that that really annoys me in the song is whatever that instrument is, I can't think that, that makes that little zip sound. I was, I was thinking that same thing. Like you can hear that, that, yeah, it's like a, it's, I don't know what it is, but yeah, you're rubbing the stick against it to make the zipping sound. Yeah. Yeah. I played it in middle school in band. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know what it's called, but that is way too far up in the mix. I mean, I can see it has a place in the song, sure. but it is way too forward. So, but over, I like the relaxed feel of the song. It's kind of weird that they don't, there's no real barn burner yet it's just, you know they start they start off with a bunch of mid-tempo mellow things but yeah i do like the relaxed feel of this song and i heard an interview with with mick at one point saying that you know and every you know we were talking about it earlier they recorded this in like three four different studios and and part of it was in jamaica but he he's always said that he didn't think the album had a an island feel to it and i know maybe not instrumentally but maybe just the vibe the relaxed vibe I kind of feel that's got an island, relaxed, chill mm. vibe to it, and I so I disagree with Mick on that. So it's, it's you know he what is, what is he what the hell does he know? <laughs> so I don't know exactly yes. where this one was recorded, but I do think it's got that relaxed island vibe to it. And called coming down again. At first, I'm like, oh gee, Keith, what's this one about? <laughs> yeah, um, but it's <laughs> actually I think it's about kind of coming to terms with you know swiping a need of Brian or whatever. You know, it's like. Slip my tongue in someone else's pie. <laughs> Tasted better every time. He turned yep. green. Tried to make me cry. Being hungry, it ain't no crying. <laughs> now I know what you're talking about. You know? <laughs> but Taylor's on the bass. Taylor does the bass on this one. Nikki's back on the piano for this. So I, look, I like it. You know, we we love Keith. Yeah, I was, I was going to say I'll never badmouth a Keith song. I just can't. Yeah. I, the, but the only thing that I don't like about this is. Like I like the I like the uh, the later Keith like where he gets he gets a little greasier he, like he's kind of singing up high a little bit I like mm-hmm. the nasty gravelly Keith. See, I I really love Keith vocals on here more than just mix, but just about anything Mick does on this album almost almost. Your so distaste for Mick Jagger is epic, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> it, you know, like I said, I'm very particular. <laughs> I'm kind of a curmudgeon. <laughs> Goodness. Now we'll never get Mick on the show. I'm going to have to edit the hell out of it. 
I well, you know, I was planning <laughs> on having it myself, but I'll let you guys get it first. Just wait for that phone call. All right. Make sure well, he, make sure he hears this episode before you. <laughs> All right. What what's the name of the fourth song again, Mark? On the on the first side, it is do 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 do. Wait, let me make sure. Do 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 heartbreaker. That's and right. that that's one of the the classic stones. When I think of classic stone songs, to me, that's one of my favorites. That's one that the one that pops in my head constantly. It's one of the ones that I think my mom must have played this a lot because I fell in love with this song early on. It even with the horns, like I said, I don't I don't particularly care for. But it's it's one of the songs on this album where I feel like they're really trying because one of the knocks on it was that the critics felt they phoned it in. I sure as hell didn't phone it on this one. This, this everybody's running full steam on this, and and that's one of the reasons why I love it. It is, uh, it's a barn burner, like like we were saying that they hadn't done one yet. Four tracks in, it took them four tracks to 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 get to an upbeat, really ballsy song. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I would have said they should have put this second. It wouldn't, it wouldn't have broken my heart, pun intended, if they yeah. put it first on here, you know. I mean, great clavinet for more Billy here. Yeah. Bob, Bobby and Chuck Finley are blowing those horns. Great wah pedal for Mick on it. And it actually hit 15 in the U.S., you know. So I, I never really heard it on the radio. Like I said, I eventually got Rewind, and I'm like, well, now this is some good stuff. Because some of the stuff on Rewind, it's like brown sugar. It's like, yeah, I've heard that one before. Um, you know, <laughs> well, you won't hear it live anymore. No, apparently not. Uh, but I'm like, oh, this heartbreaker. So it's the last one on the album. I'm like, this is badass. I'm digging this, yeah. you know. So it, it is a hard rocker, and I, I like this. It's interesting to it's interesting to me because it's it's almost like the the two different tales here. Like if you listen to the if you took out the lyrics to it, I mean, yeah, it's it kicks ass, but then it's surprisingly upbeat for being a real bummer of a lyrical content about a kid getting shot and then ODing on drugs and yet you know a you're going into a 10-year-old girl yeah, ODing on drugs that's um, the thing, it's a 10-year-old girl ODing, ODing on drugs and but, but you're you've got this upbeat you know yeah. barn burner here that we're doing but yeah the, the lyrics are uh, are kind of bummed out and as as much as I criticize Mick Jagger's vocals, I love them on this song. He, he was he was built them. for this thing, the, the high, the do 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 do. Like I mean, that's that's Mick Jagger. And 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 the the growl he gets when he yells "Heartbreaker" is yeah. that you know, that's the Mick I love. Yeah, like the yeah. preening. Ah! <laughs> I can't. I, no, I can't do it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, but this this is one of my favorites on the album. I guess I was saying there are some of my. A couple of my favorite Rolling Stones songs of all time are on this album. This is one of them. Uh, killer, killer track. And, you know, it's socially conscious. You know, it's talking about a true story about the police in New York City, you know, shooting a black kid, getting off for it. At least 50 yeah. years later, that doesn't happen anymore. Well, no. Oh, <laughs> wait a minute. The wait funny a thing minute. is, though, in the lyrics, he never says a black kid. No, he I doesn't mean, say But, they, know, but, but he, he, he called him a boy, though. Yeah. Yeah, you chase the boy right through the park. There's a little code in there. I feel like maybe you know, uh, and and the story was about a black kid, but yeah, um, but it's funny because he never overtly says it. But but like you know, right. in, in Brown Sugar, he had no problem. 
Yes. Well, that's a little, that's a different kind of story. <laughs> that's a different kind of story. Very good point. All right. So, so now we round out the first side here with the big hit. And again, look, you want to put dancing with Mr. D on the first side. That's fine. I would have started with hundred years ago or heartbreaker. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I do hundred years ago, then heartbreaker to take it up a notch. Then coming down, because in the third song, you want to gear shift a little bit. Then if you want to come back with Mr. D, because that's got to be okay. So it's a little bit of groove. It's bringing you from the slow song, you know, coming up, I guess. But then I don't know. Angie, you don't like Angie either. Neither of you guys like Angie. No. And I don't know if it's because I heard it so much. Yeah. That, it, But, I mean, it, it, technically, it's a beautiful song. But personally, if I never heard it again, I wouldn't be sad. I think maybe it's because my mom overplayed it. I don't know, maybe, or classic <laughs> rock radio overplayed it. I don't know, but I'm, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it. Uh, and I, I heard the theory that the lyrics are about Bowie's wife at the time, but Mick Jagger says he wrote it about his daughter. I really hope to God it's about Bowie's wife because those that's some sick shit if you wrote that about your daughter. I think I, I think that was a I think that was a cop out because it was it was like she wasn't even conceived at that point in time and it was yeah. like you went back and named her after this I don't like, think but so. he just came up with a generic name like like Carol and Chuck Berry it's Angie you know it's not a big deal I hope not because reading the lyrics if that's about your daughter I mean I don't know that's <laughs> that's some pretty weird stuff you got going on there that's, well I, I understand there's fatigue on it right because it went to number one in Australia Belgium Canada. France, Italy, the Netherlands, Norway, Switzerland, U.S. Only went to number five in the U.K., but it went to two in Spain, two in New Zealand, two in Germany. I mean, you know, all around the world. All the dreams we had so close seem to all go up in smoke. million copies sold in the U.S., more than a million sold around the world. This is a big hit for them. And, you know, I've seen the Stones eight times, and the last time I saw them in Hyde Park, about a year ago, as we're recording this, they played it. And honestly, I'm psyched to hear it. I remember I told Jackson, let me play Angie. And he's like, yeah, great. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Good for you. Um, yeah, I mean, I like the, the the intro part is cool. I just I just don't like Bix's vocals on this. He just seems very whiny to me. And yeah. you know, the whole thing about you know, with no money in our co- when was the last time you had no money? Yeah, exactly. Come on now. I, and especially with Jack, I don't like the the breathy whispery voice. <laughs> I just I, oh, very yeah, very few people can pull off the whispering. He's not one of them. <laughs> you guys are hardcore man you're destroying a beautiful song that is beloved by millions around the world i'm gonna turn people off of my podcast by the time (laughs) like fuck that guy i don't want to listen to his show all right but here's the thing now those are songs that are pretty well known by most stones fans certainly hardcore stones fans even fairly casual i mean you hear angie you hear do 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 Dancing with Victor D, you know, the Keith fans know that. You get to the second side, and this is where it gets obscure. You don't hear these songs on rock radio ever. Right. 
ever. You are so right. Right. And, and the that's first, a shame, yeah. damn it. Well, some of them are interesting. And these are the ones you don't know. And these are the ones you want to do a deep dive on because the casual Stones fans, even a pretty big Stones fan like me, I'm going to put this whole wall is going to be stone stuff um, once I get done moving everything in, right? So nice. Silver Train, the first song on the second side, it's the B-side. It's the B-side to Angie. So you know people heard it because they sold millions of singles around mm-hmm. the world, not to mention millions of the LP. You know, and the, you may not always get deep into the second side, but everyone always hears the first song. True. This is better than I remember. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And agree it, it sounds like it's almost like a leftover from exile something about it and maybe it's the lyrics always seemed a little unfinished to me though mm. um but musically i love it i think it's a, an awesome blues riff song basically the slide work is amazing it, it, it kind of gets you up and it's dancing and excited I, 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 even sounding unfinished that's I, I really think it's a one of the top tracks on this album and the harmonica tone i'm not a harmonica guy like it, that kind of falls in with saxophone and, and horns it's a harmonica i'm really but i like the tone on this harmonica and this one is nice too coming if you listen to this in the context of the album coming off of angie which is slow and now okay boom here we go now we're chugging along it's got a little bit of a country vibe yeah you're right the slide guitar is awesome it's got a funky bass courtesy of keith yeah it just it this is just a more upbeat tune I, i'm we're starting the second side off right they should it's have started the first side with this song. I mean, this should have been the first side, you know? Where it's were so you weird. when they put this out? Yeah. <laughs> Who did the sequencing? Because why would they start the second side off better than the first? <laughs> I wasn't even three months old, you asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't mean you can't have opinions. At a three-month-old opinion. Right. <laughs> exactly. You know, look, we, we always talk about how much we love Mick as a heart player. He blows it awfully well. He's underrated yeah. as far as, you know, they talk about the great harmonic players. Mick Jagger's damn good. It is yeah. Taylor's best slide work on the album, which is saying something. I mean, he's he's damn good at that. That's that's what he did in the Blues Breakers, and, and that's what really gives yeah. him his tone. Stewart's back on the piano. It's one of those that I feel like it gets better every time you listen to it, you know. And, and, and But then, you know, again, Mark, what was he talking about? He's talking about being with a prostitute, you know, and the big chorus, and I did not know her name. It's yeah. It's got that classic kind of bluesy country twang and the guitar just pulls it all together. I'm like, they took, they took Mr. D over this. And I wonder all the people who like bad mouth the album, if this had been number one, take Mr. D, stick it somewhere on the second side, maybe right here if you want. Would the reviews have been more positive overall if you start with this? See, you bring up a great point. And this is, I've, I've been contemplating doing an entire podcast on the importance of sequencing. Because yeah, we, we talk about it every week. This is important yeah, stuff, man. It, it really is. I mean, Dancing with Mr. D probably should have ended side one and not started it. And Silver Train possibly could have set a better tone for this album if you started it on side A rather than side B. Well, they're both B-sides. They just picked the wrong B-side to start the album. 
Yeah. Uh, I mean, you wonder, looking at this, even back then, how many people didn't make it to the second side of this? Yeah. You know, you maybe see, they, oh, maybe they just labeled it wrong. Maybe they accidentally labeled side A as side B and side uh, B as side A. It was a printing maybe error. It was a misprint. Yeah. yeah. You guys are silly. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but when Mick Taylor joined them on stage in 2014, they did play this some, you know, which is kind of oh. cool. Yeah. Wow. I didn't know that either. Yeah. I'm learning all yeah. kinds of stuff today. Well, you know, man, I, we I love the Stones, love, love, love them. We'll get one shot at these. I'm I'm a casual Stones fan, but I always found this album very fascinating. All right, well, you see this CD rack behind me. Yes, sir. Yeah, each one of those like little you see a box that's about that big, that one, <laughs> and then there's another yes. one there. There's there's four, yeah, those hold between forty five or so CDs a piece. Three and a half of them are Stones behind. Wow, you're like me with Zeppelin. <laughs> well, I would love to talk to you about Zeppelin sometimes. Zeppelin kind of has its own too. It's just not as full. <laughs> you know, I, I just don't let anybody else sit next to it. Because, like, sorry, this is Led Zeppelin, then half of it's empty. You know. Oh, you you've got my heart right there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Zeppelin is what pulled me into music in the first place. Thank ah, you. very good. Well, I've always said for years. Look, I got three favorite bands, and I cannot choose one over the other. I just put all three. I can do four, five, and six maybe after that, but the top three are all kind of tied. Yeah. Rolling Stones, Led Zeppelin, Rush. Oh, nice. Mine are three that I don't think anybody has the same top three as I do. Lay it on me. Led Zeppelin, The Verve, and Black Rebel Motorcycle Club. Holy shit, that's eclectic. Oh, yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, those are my, I mean, anything anybody in any of those bands put out, I will buy. How about you, Jackson? You got a top three? I was going to say, but the top three have to be, I mean, for me, it's it's got to be the Stone Zeppelin, and I can't, I can't leave the cult off of there. Right. There you go. Ooh. So. That's Interesting right. connection now. Last summer, I would I, I shot a show. It was Zola Jesus opening. Black Rebel Motorcycle Club was the middle band, and the Cult was the headliner. Ooh, you got shots of Billy and Ian. Yeah, oh, I, got, I got amazing shots of Billy and Ian, and my buddy Charlie Jones on bass. Oh okay. yeah, yeah. Who played with Jimmy Page and Robert Plant? Nice dude. Who's yes. also Robert Plant's son-in-law. Oh, I didn't know that connection. Interesting. Yeah, he, he married uh, um, Carmen. Carmen, wow. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Charlie's been on the podcast, I and mean, he's an awesome dude. I love We talk a bunch. So he, he's just a phenomenal dude. Oh, yeah. Hi, this is Jim Cregan, and you're listening to The Ugly American Werewolf in London. And they're just the best. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Let's move on to the second song on the second side, or number seven if you're listening at home on your CD. Hide Your Love. Hide Your Love. 
I very, don't have a lot to say about this. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> Dude, I'm the same way. Um, <laughs> seriously, I mean, it's like Mick on the piano. Okay, well, that's weird. Yeah. Keith, again, on cool bass. I'm digging mm. the Funky's Lane. You're right about that, Jackson. It, but Mick sounds like he's far from the mic in some areas, you know. It, it's bluesy. Taylor does some solid blues solo runs. But this is, it's not that it's bad. It's more like it's not memorable. It's its a Stone song. It just sounds like a Stone song. You know, but not it, a it specific song. It's like a generic. Exactly. It's, it, it could be from any of the previous four albums, which is good, but it's, you know, it, it's nothing different. It, it's right. It's a perfect Stone's wheelhouse. It's, it, this one sounds like it was kind of a it, more like a jam. Like they just kind of played it live, and whatever was happening was going to happen was going to happen. Um, Mick Taylor again, he's killing it on the lead. The sax sounds yeah. good, and then yeah, like you said, you got Keith playing bass. So not a bad song, but not kind of it was. It's kind of one that just kind of maybe gets hidden in here. Yeah, I mean, well, Mick's not a great piano player. I've seen the Stones eight times. I've never seen him sit down at the piano and play a song. You know, uh, and then also Keith on the bass. I mean, it's cool that they mix it up, but it's also like now too many of your, you've, you've mixed up too much of your infield now, you know, it's <laughs> everybody's playing too many different positions and it's just, it's not in rhythm anymore. You know, uh, they've taken too many pieces out. If you ask me. Yeah, there uh, is yeah. something, there is something to be said for, for Bill Wyman playing the bass because he is a yeah. bass player. That's how he thinks. Whereas I think Keith is more like, well, I'm going to make my own, kind of riff here on the bass on the bass which it, it, it's okay every once in a while but i mean you need him in there like you need charlie watts playing the drums yeah yeah, yeah. so for me there's nothing spectacular about this but there's nothing terrible about it either no not you're right mr d but it's it's not do 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 heartbreaker <laughs> right like I, I would skip mr d because i don't like it much i would skip this one because there's nothing to it yeah basically yeah and i, and I want to get to winter because this one is interesting. Mm -hmm. To me, this is an interesting song. Nikki's back on piano. Bill is on the bass, one of the few he's actually playing the bass on. Mick is playing some electric guitar, and there's no Keith Richards on the two. Now, yeah. how many Stone songs don't feature Keith Richards riff? Um, I don't I know take... the answer, but I'll take I, this yeah. one. <laughs> yeah, well, at least one. Yeah, I would say I would say you could probably count it on one hand and probably not use all your fingers because I don't there's not that many. And my problem with this is I don't like to be prejudicial, but if there's no Keith right off the bat, I'm kind of like you're you're coming into the deficit. Interesting. Oh, that's a good point. Mm -hmm. This song, I'm, I'm probably going to 
make you mad. This song might be one of my, I mean, not might be, it is one of my favorite Stone songs of all time. You're a jerk. Okay. <laughs> I love you guys. <laughs> it, it, my top three songs, and, it, and it, they, they vary every day, but there's a three that, that just are always the top. Moonlight Mile, Dead Flowers, and Winter. Ooh, nice. Okay. And yeah. from day to day, the top could change, but it's always one of those three. And I love Winter because Mick doesn't sound like Mick. Mick sounds like Van Morrison. <laughs> and the song structure is atypical. You know, there's no, it's not verse, chorus, verse. There's beautiful strings, lilting strings. They're gorgeous. They're not overused. They're not over the top. They're just perfect in the mix. Um, uh, Nicky Harrison did the strings and he did them on Angie as well. Yeah. It, the only question I have about this song is why the hell does Mick Jagger want to wrap a cord around this woman? <laughs> what the hell is he talking about? What what is going on? It, it's like this was four years before the Hillside Strangler. I mean, did yeah, they take a well, cue from this song? Well, look, I, I don't know what she was doing or what she said, but I, I can think of a few reasons without even me. <laughs> well, it was, it was at least she was gorgeous. I'm sure. I'm sure that's a fact. Yeah. <laughs> but he, he did want to wrap a cord around her, and I think that's weird. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. Uh, but uh <laughs> But no, but it, it's you know it's it, it's got some some interesting stuff on it sonically. I do kind of like it. Here's the thing though: Mick Taylor and Mick Jagger basically wrote this together, right? Mick Mick Jagger on rhythm guitar, Taylor on lead, doing some interesting stuff. However, because they're still sore about the whole Alan Klein thing that was just a couple years before, really '72, I think they finally got to resolve that stuff. Okay, and he's taken half of their royalties for himself. Half, you know, and then Mick and Keith are only getting, you know, 25% each on most all those. They come to Atlantic. Ahmed Oregon sets up Rolling Stones records for them so they can make a mint off this stuff. Now Mick and Keith, it's all very precious, the songwriting. So mm -hmm. even though Mick Taylor wrote it and should get half of it on there, it goes to Mick and Keith. This is important. This is part of why Mick Taylor eventually leaves the Rolling Stones because he is helping to write the songs in some ways, right? And it's not just all Mickey Keith, but they just gotta make, no look, the business is Mickey Keith write the songs, period, that's it. Everyone else fall in line with that. For Mick Taylor, he's like, I'm more creative than that, and I am helping, and this is one where he obviously could have received credit on, and it didn't happen, and it wasn't so long after this where Mick kind of, between the drugs and the hard life, I mean, as long as, I know they fly first class, but they're flying all over the world all the time, doing all yeah. sorts of drugs. It's a hard life, and yeah. you're not making, you know, any royalties. And, and this is a microcosm of why the greatest lineup the Stones ever had came to an end. That's yeah. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I, I didn't realize all of that stuff because, like I said, I'm a more casual fan. But that's you know, God. I probably would have left too. Yeah, it's it's tough when it's like you mean, like you said, you're you're creating, and you say, okay, so where's my uh... Where's my cut of this? And not only are you not getting it, but somebody who didn't do anything on this song gets it because that's the way it goes. Yeah, especially one... when you when you're in like the the at the time the, the greatest rock and roll band on the planet. <laughs> right. I would say Led Zeppelin, but you know a lot of other people will say the Stones. It you know you're in the the top one of the top acts in the world, and you're not seeing anything other yeah. than you know other than your paying a hired hand basically. Yeah. 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 But. You know, when, when Charlie passed away, we, we were talking about, you know, what's the greatest Charlie Watts track of all time? And it's like, he just, 
everyone was great because he just played what was needed. And on this one, you he's doing something on the hi-hat, just tap, 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 tap. I don't hear him do it anywhere else, and it just fits in perfectly, and it kind of leaves that. It's just a little bit something different that fits in nicely to the song. No matter how good you say he is, he was underrated. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because he it was what what do we need for this song? I, I got yeah. it. It's it's exactly right every single time. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I've just, I've always had just immense respect for and it's so funny because when I in the when I was watching Stone's videos in the 80s, I'm like that guy doesn't do anything. He's just sitting back, he looks he? bored. <laughs> bored as shit behind the kid, but he was doing I used to say that about Bill Wyman because visually on the stage, he does not move. He sits there and hits his bass. And then when Mick Jagger's doing his crowd work, he takes out his cigarette, (laughs) puts it in his mouth. He lights it. He looks for hot girls in the crowd, you know, and then he waits for his cue and then it's boom, boom, you know, but he's very, very good. And that's one disappointment of this album is there's not much on here from him. And Mm. You know, like when we went back and listened to Steel Wheels, we're like, God, I, I didn't realize how damn good Bill Wyman was. And I was kind of looking forward to that with, before I did my research, just listening to Bill Wyman. I'm like, this is not the same. So, but anyway, look, we got to keep moving, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's okay. get to number four. You can hear the music. This is an odd one for sure. Flute and triangle to start. <laughs> Are you kidding me? And that's the beginning. And in the end, it's so repetitive. It feels like this song is long, dude. Got a, kind of an old-time gospel feel. But the, at the beginning, it's more of a psychedelic druggy song at first. Maybe drug influenced. But then, I don't know, then it kind of evolves into more of a, a gospel thing. Because it's kind of talking about, I don't know if it's talking about the joy of songwriting or the spirit that comes in the room when the song comes in. Which, you know, invoking the spirit is very a gospel thing as well. But it, it's a weird one for us. I've got a note here. It says plods along. Cause yeah, after a while you're like, okay, we got it. Thanks. Let's, <laughs> let's go. We're, we're, we're doing this here. Uh, and I think I also had plods along funky intro. Yeah. The flute and the triangle were like, did you have it lying around? Like, you know, can I use it today? No. Can I use it? To, oh, fine. Just put it on this one. You're fine. <laughs> I'm really psyched about my flute solo on this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Man, he brought it. He brought so it all hard. the way down. Yeah, he's so excited about. It. Just let him play, please. I'm gonna kick ass on his triangle. <laughs> it's kind of weird. It's kind of like psych funk by the Stones. Yeah. It, but it it sounds very relaxed. You know, almost like that island feel again. But but it does. It sounds a bit demo-y. Like they never completely finished oh, it. Yeah. I like the harmonies a lot. And generally, I dislike songs about. Music as too meta. I can't stand that crap. <laughs> but All right. I do Join believe together with I, the band. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, a song about music. I don't. I, just, I mean, Neil Diamond's "Beautiful Noise" is about the only one I can take. But I could be mistaken. But I do believe this was Zomfir's debut with his magical pan flute at the end. <laughs> am I am I correct in that? 
Oh my goodness, oh, maybe. My I don't know about that. We'll do some fact checking on that afterwards. We'll, we'll let the audience know. <laughs> I do believe that is Zamfir's debut. Yeah, I, I don't see them ever playing this ever, ever, ever. I don't <laughs> I see any, anyone ever yeah. playing this ever, to be honest with you. It's just so weird. It's, it is. And it's just, and, and this might be turning people off, but you got to get to the end of the second side because Starfucker's on there. How yes. do be called Star Star or all my Hurricanes like, I can't get it in stores, boys. We got to change this star star. <laughs> Again, this is another one that's better live. It, it, it Eventually, they did release it in some areas as a single because you can get it. I mean, I think in Germany, it hit the charts. I think in Switzerland, it got into the top 10 or something crazy like that. I'm like, a song called Star Fucker? Are you kidding me? Well, in Germany, that's probably like a 37 letter long title. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> With Start several yeah. <laughs> it, It's very Chuck Berry. That first riff, that's yeah. so Chuck right there. Yeah. First thing in the in the world. Talking about groupies, I guess. <laughs> yeah. But live, live, Mark, they did change the lyrics to Jimmy Page is all the rage. Really? Oh. Yes. Because, you know, the the Pam, Miss Pamela and the GTOs, everybody loved Jimmy. And, and Mick's just like, what? That scrawny, pasty guy? You know, he's the head of the studio? I'm the rage. I'm Mick F. Jagger. Are you kidding? Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm going to check that out. Yeah. I, I, if it's it, maybe Love You Live, it's on, or there's boots you can certainly hear of it. But from, and it, 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 it was the tour in 75 or 76 after they did uh, Black and Blue. Um, okay. when, when Ronnie was in the band, I think I think that's when he changed those lyrics up a little bit. Baby, baby, I've been so sad that you've been gone. Way back to New York City. Definitely have to check that out. Yeah, I, I've always been of two minds of this song. I mean, to be honest with you, at this point, that riff is kind of boring. It's you know how many people have done the Chuck Berry riff? Chuck Berry did it. You know, get your own riff. But yeah. they, you know, the the Stones and one hundred percent of rock bands have played that riff to death. So that's a little bit disappointing for me, I guess. But it's lyrically it's the most outrageous and probably on the nose song that i can think of by the stones which for me kind of gives it maybe for lack of a better term some charm i find myself like happening along with it and i, I yeah. kind of you know it's it's interesting and i it's probably one reason why my mom never bought the album <laughs> and, and played it around the house yeah stuck to the greatest hits but i i do like it it's but the musically it's a little little bit Boring, if I can say that. Well, well it's old we, school, right? Yeah. I mean, and we, we're I, talking about, I meant musically. I don't know if I said yeah, lyrically yeah. or musically. You know, you we were it. talking about sequencing. This is a great way to end the record. You know, you I've want had a it bitch to be. Maze. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. You want something. You want something that kind of it doesn't fade out. It kind of just it kicks you in the ass. And yeah. I wrote down, you know, this is why you want to be a rock star. Like, this is the rock star life. You know, you got groupies. You've got every. It's a twenty-four hour a day party. 
you know, talking about, you know, giving groupies giving head to Steve McQueen and, you know, giving yeah. kids. Who gave I mean, his permission to use his name? Really? He, yeah, he had, they, he actually, they actually had to run it past him. He, he gave them permission to use his name in the, in the song. Well, I mean, they weren't saying anything derogatory about him. I mean, I'm sure, <laughs> he he, I'm sure he, he could party great. with the best of them. So, oh, yeah, yeah, man. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, God, yeah. To his <laughs> ultimate demise, but... Mm. But... Yeah. But was banned by the BBC for obvious reasons. Like, couldn't get it on BBC radio, right, uh, really? in their home country. No, couldn't do that. But the other thing that's <laughs> great was what on that 76 tour or whatever that was, and maybe 78 too, I'm not sure, when they played this song, a big inflatable phallus comes up out of the stage. <laughs> oh, I, okay, so it's that tour. Okay, yeah, I've heard that's that. That's the one. That's And that's when they played Star Star. Nice, but again, it's it's another one that I got on bootleg because I didn't have this album until much much later in life. And to get introduced to song and, and on the bootleg, you can actually write Starfucker, right? You don't just have to put Star Star because <laughs> it's a bootleg. Who cares, right? Yeah, uh, so, so I'm like, ooh, that's an interesting, but that's not a real song, is it? Then I real I realized, oh yeah, it's a it is a real song, and it's it's a it's a funny one. But yeah, it's it's kind of like you take the simple Chuck Berry. It's from the 50s. It's old. It's quaint now. And now you put in the 70s rock star groupies. Maybe there's a message to Carly Simon in there, supposedly. I don't know. Oh, right I, after he sang on You're So Vain, you know, here's maybe one back at you there, Carly. Uh, wow. Because so, he all assumed that song was about him, you know, as he assumes everything's about him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Everything's about Mick. Yeah, Mick but is all about me. Interesting and, way to, to end the album, and it's a it's a classic, but it's not one you're not you're not going to hear that a classic one. It is, and you know, if you made it to side two, you got you, you were treated with Starfucker, and it's funny <laughs> right. because in listening to this album over and over again in the past you know week or so, getting ready for this, I find myself walking around my job and Starfucker, Star, <laughs> Catchy, isn't like, it? What? I'm like, I'm, I'm, oh, it's Rolling Stones. Rolling Stones, it's okay. I'm preparing <laughs> for a podcast. Yes. Yeah, I would relax. I would have been that that would have been a great to be a fly on the wall with that meeting when they brought it in and then <laughs> just like this. I'm I can't <laughs> we cannot do this. And you know that we cannot put a title like this. We'll never get it in stores. Oh, come on, don't be a jury. I'm just trying to I'm trying to help you out, boys. You're exactly. never gonna sell anything with this. <laughs> but then they, they probably would have sold maybe would have sold even more. People, you know, kids rebelling against their parents. Starfucker. Do you have the one with Starfucker on it? Oh my god, you have to get that. You know they what? Couldn't they couldn't get it in the stores. They couldn't get it in stores. They would have to cover up the name of the song yeah. or all the yeah. names of the songs, you know. So that's yeah. not a good thing. Hi, this is Mick Wall, and you are listening to the ugly American werewolf in London. But that's that's you know that's the album that's the classic album. Now, yeah, they did do the deluxe reissue, and we oh, were yeah. treated to three new songs, three songs we didn't know. There's so some other demos and remixes on there, and the super deluxe also had the Brussels affair. I don't think it was because that was two nights, and I don't think that all those songs aligned with the ones that I had. Like maybe they used some second night stuff, whereas mine was both first nights and whatever. Mm. Some of okay. it sound great all down the line was not quite as good as the one that I had. And I say had because I had a break-in and someone stole my CD player and it was in the CD. Oh, no. Yeah. Uh, so oh, I don't have horrible. it anymore. Yeah. Uh, that's so, too, too, too heartbreaking. It is. <laughs> it's horrible. And it was a laser disc player. And where the fuck am I going to find a working laser disc player oh. anymore? So 
so, so that's <laughs> so now I got all these laser discs. I'm like, uh, I don't know what I'm gonna do with these. But oh, wow. I know you want to talk about the first one, the big one, the one that was released as a single and got into the charts almost 50 years later, Scarlet, with one James Patrick Page. song and not just because my, my my favorite guitarist of all time jimmy page is on it it's actually even if you took him out of it it's a good song i love the riff i love the tone on the guitar but it's it's basically this it's the black crows 20 years before southern harmony and musical companion it sounds okay. amazing it's a nasty riff it's when jimmy comes in it is it it, it is i actually i deal houses of the holy era jimmy page you can hear him. It is just insane. And before before I heard the song, you know, they, they announced that it was coming out. I had Scarlett Page on the podcast. Jimmy's daughter. And I asked, yeah, Jimmy's daughter. And I asked her, is this, was this a song about you? I mean, was this Scarlett? I mean, it's named Scarlett. Jimmy's it, on it. it was, it's right around the right time. She's about our age. She, yeah, she's a, just a few years older than us. So mm -hmm. it was just, you know, she was born when this was recorded she's like i have no idea i've never even heard it <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, but your dad's playing on it how do you she's like yeah but it's a stone song she's like you know dad played on it and that was it I, he never he never really heard it again so she didn't think it was named after her but that's a huge coincidence 73 she's you, you know like maybe three, four years old at this point, and or maybe not even that long. No, that, I don't even know if she's that old, yeah. Yeah, she, she may have just been, you know, one or two at that point. Jimmy Page is on it, and it's a song called Scarlet. I mean, that, that's a little coincidental. Uh, what do you think about this one, Jackson? I think, that, well, I go back to being, you know, prejudiced about things. It, it'd be very hard for me to hate a song with Jimmy Page on it, but even if you didn't know that, like, you would listen to it and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Something is off here. Something is different. This does not sound like anything else. And then you say, oh yeah, that that's Jimmy Page. It's killer. It's it's a killer uh, yeah. riff on the on the beginning. And I don't know why they did not include this on the record. They should have taken out Hide Your Love and put Scarlet on. Yeah, yeah. that would have been cool. It's kind of like, you know, you, you heard uh, One Hit to the Body back in the day and you're like, yes, this, that, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This rocks a little bit too hard. Well, that's Jimmy Page at the beginning. Well, there you have it then. Yeah. And, you know, Jimmy's sound has changed a bit throughout the years, but it always sounds like Jimmy. So mm -hmm. when he comes in on One Hit to the Body or Scarlet, you know it's him. Yeah. There's you know, no denying Guys, I love Jimmy Page. You know, anytime someone says who's the best guitar player ever, I just say Jimmy Page without thinking about it. Yeah. I'm not super impressed with him on this one. I, the scratchy riff I kind of dig. There's no standout, super amazing solo You're work. You're a jerk. To me. <laughs> you know, it's just, you know, you said Jimmy Page and Stones, really? Yeah, this is it. It's like, yeah, okay, fine. And it's it's not a Stones song. Mick said it's, we didn't release it because it wasn't a Stones song. 
And he's right. Now it is cool. It's a cool song. I dig it. You know, different rhythm section, right? I mean, Rick Gretsch on the bass, Bruce Roll on the drums. Ian Stewart plays the piano, which is cool. I'm glad they released it. I'm glad I finally got to hear it. But I, I'm not, I'm not reaching for it. I, I'm listening to it when I listen to the whole album. Um, uh, okay. But it's, it's not like I'm like, oh, this is finally Jimmy and the Stones together. It's like, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. See, to, to me, it makes sense. It, it, what it does is it makes me understand now why I love the Black Crows. <laughs> so, you know, Fair enough. It, it, it's. Jimmy and the Stones, basically what the Black Crows is. So, yeah, yeah it's close. Yeah, 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 I'm with you there. All right, but now next is All the Rage, back to a bluesy jam. And look, Stones seem to always have some of these laying around in their outtakes from most every album they do, right? But this is how they create songs. They get into a key and they kind of sit on a riff for a while, and then people kind of come in and add stuff. And I think it's very stoked. And it, you know, the, the lyrics are awfully simple, so it's almost like they're not super finished. And maybe I feel like it's not hard enough for what they were going for. Because it's kind of, I don't know if happy is the right word for it, but it's a bright, <laughs> it's a bright song. It, it kind of gives you a good feeling. And I don't know if that's really what they were going for on an album. They start with Dancing with Mr. D. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's to me, it, it's four and a half minutes, but it feels a lot longer. And and I think it's because of the lyrics, man. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if that's good or bad. Uh, I think this could have been a keeper for the album if they put more effort into it, did a little more work on it. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it made it a little more cohesive. It's just, it again, kind of kind of like a, a Hide Your Love. It just kind of sounds like a typical Stone song of the era. It's not, you know, not good or bad. I mean, it just, it just sounds typical of that era. And there's really nothing unique or interesting about it that I, I would pick it out of yeah. any of those. If you know, from from Beggar's Banquet on to to Goat's Head Soup, it uh, could really fit on any one of those as a. I don't want to say filler, really, because that's a little bit insulting, maybe to it. But it's just not a, a hit. It's just it just could fit anywhere. Really, it's not. It's not finished. It, it's like eighty-five exactly. percent finished. And they they talk about how they'll record a song. They think they got it. And then they'll sit on it for a couple months and they'll go to another studio and they'll add something or rework something or they'll remix it. Okay, and now it's finished. And it yeah. seems like it's one of those songs that didn't quite get to that last stage to me. Exactly. I had a, I had a, it starts off great. Like it's got a cool riff and then it just kind of falls apart. So I think maybe that's what it was. Maybe it wasn't finished or you kind of put two things together and maybe we'll come back to that, but kind of had a promising start and then just trails off for me. Yeah. I agree. That, that's a good way to put it. And then crisscross is the last one, uh, of, you know, of the kind of the unheard, the new ones. And Nick Taylor finally gets his co-write, right? He gets a third of this one on super deluxe. <laughs> edition after all these years a little funk to it it's a little raw yeah i like it it's not amazing but to me this is a fun fine you know something that we've never heard before and suddenly it's like you know what this is you know there's a little something to this it's 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 not going to be my favorite it's, it's another one that's maybe not 100 percent finished but it's 
it's a cool one to come across. From my understanding, is that they recorded some really early versions of songs that would end up on like Tattoo You around yeah. this era, and it kind of sounds like one of those songs. It, it sounds like it's in that vein. It, it you know it's kind of it, it's kind of cool with, with the, the keys and I don't know it's a clavinet or a clavier. I don't know what, what what they're playing, but to me it sounds like it's a song about Keith. You know, I think I need a blood transfusion. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's about Keith. Yeah, and but the biggest problem I have with that song is that stupid damn screaming at the end <laughs> that is what always turns me off with jagger is that stupid and the dumb lyrics and the and he he goes you know uh i, I can't i'm sorry <laughs> well, I'm done. <laughs> well thankfully there's nothing there's nothing more to review so you can, <laughs> you, can you can rest easy now yeah I'm, I, that that that's the last one for me so all right i'm sorry jackson well, I was going to say it, it's it's interesting that they. I'm glad that they put these out later on because it kind of gives you a window into what they were working on. And if if these things aren't finished, then it, again, it, it it's it shows it without all the polish on it. Is it's not my favorite song, but I just like to hear it because I, I would have liked to have just heard them play whatever you want to play in the studio. Just go. Yeah, you know, it, it's it sounds to me like you guys with the Stones and and probably Zeppelin, but for me with Zeppelin is I love hearing all the demos. I love to hear how a song goes from yeah. a an acoustic demo, Jimmy just on acoustic, no lyrics, no nothing, just acoustic little jamming, to uh, a demo with the band, to early version, to the finished product. And it sounds like you guys do that with, I'm sure with Zeppelin, but also with the Stones. And that's probably what this song is for for me in that regard. Yeah, and they're prolific. I mean, you know, they, they, they're coming off 72 where they had it ton of songs right uh a double albums worth of stuff and leftover yeah. stuff but like you said yeah waiting on a friend was kind of first recorded during these sessions tops which would end up being a b-side i think on its own way rock and roll or one of the songs off there so you know they got stuff and it kind of hangs around and then maybe they can rework it later and tattoo you which we've not done a show on but that deluxe was awesome because it had a second disc and it wasn't just demos. There's a couple of demos. There's a couple of things that became different things later, but it was, it was basically a whole nother record of other stuff that was kind of laying around at the time. And, and they reworked some stuff. Um, I know they added some stuff in later to a couple of those, uh, but it just kind of shows you, they, they kind of collect all this stuff. They've got the stuff hanging around. Whereas, you know, my boys rush, they don't have B sides, right? I mean, they, if they get halfway through yeah. a song and they can't finish it, like you know what, this isn't end up what I want. They abandon it. Like there's yeah. nothing, there's nothing there, you know. So to find all these great gems throughout the collection, every time they would do one of these reissues, uh, I just love it. All right, we should do a Rush episode because I I I love Rush. But you're right, there are no unreleased tracks because they just abandon stuff and I don't erase it or I don't I don't know. There's no, I can't find, I, like you guys, I'm a big bootlegger, 
a bootlegger. That's not. I'm making liquor. I just, I just, I'm a yeah. Well, that that from time to time, yeah. Um, <laughs> but I am a huge bootleg collector, and I have there. I think there's like three unreleased Rush tracks, and it's just insane the amount of the the the, the fact that there's so little out there that's unreleased. Mm. Bizarre. It really, it's a, it's amazing. It's a te- kind of, I guess, a testament to them is that they either work everything out to rush standards or they abandon it so fast that demo versions don't exist. Yeah. There's like right. Tiny Dancer, Garden Road, and they did a cover of Bad Boy in the like 73. And those wow. are the only unreleased songs I can think of <laughs> off the top of my head. That's great deep knowledge, Mark. We are probably going to have you back sooner rather than later on one of those. Yeah. Sure. Oh, let's do right. I love our. Uh, well, that's well yeah. so all right at this point right, so that does well the album does pretty well for them obviously angie's a huge hit all around the world they tour well on it next year they do it's only rock and roll and that would spell the end of mick taylor in the band that would be his last record with the band and obviously jimmy miller leaves after this one so the cracks are really starting to show for the stones now and most hardcore stones fans say okay exile's the high water mark and then yeah. Goat said is where you start to see him slip a little bit. The drugs start to become bigger in Keith's life. Mick starts to become a bigger asshole, maybe star, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> you know, Charlie starts having issues. All of them have money and, and they're all moving around. It's, it's just like it starts to wear on them a little bit. And I don't think yeah. they tour in 74. And, you know, famously, Mick Taylor's like at a party at maybe Robert Stigwitz or somebody like that. Stig. Mick Taylor, I'm sorry, Mick Jagger and Ronnie are sitting together. Mick Taylor comes over and sits right next to him and says, hey, I'm leaving the band. And Mick T- and Jagger turns to Ronnie. He's like, is he serious? Like, he's <laughs> quitting the role and stuff. I was like, who does he think he is? And, and Ronnie's like, I think he is. And so then he's like, yeah, I'm out of here. And it, it turns out he was serious. And then Ronnie's like, apparently, Mick says, would you join? I feel like it was Keith who would have really asked him to join at some point. But I mean, you know, this is how the story goes. And, and Ronnie's like, yeah, I'd love to. But, you know, I don't, I'm still with the faces here. I don't want to let them down kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. But it's still, I mean, eventually, a couple of years later, you know, it did work out. And, well, he never left, you know, after 47 years. Still got the <laughs> <Dear> God. <laughs> Jeez. That makes me feel old because I was alive at that point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we all were. The three yeah. of us are the same age. So, all right. You know, have you ever seen The Stones? I have never seen this stuff. And that's be- all Mick Jagger's fault. <laughs> because I don't want to see that jerk strutting around on stage like a rooster. But You're missing out. I always figured at by the time I was old enough to start seeing shows, I wasn't really into the stuff. I, if Led Zeppelin had reformed and uh, I could have afforded the, what, $10,000 to go see him on that celebration day, sure. I would have done it. You know, the Stones at that point, I, was like, I never really got as deep into the Stones as I did into Zeppelin. And so I was, I was always like, I'm, I'm okay with, you know, those four amazing albums and then maybe the Satanic Majesty's Request. And so, I, no, I, I've never had a chance to see them or any of their solo bands, unfortunately. You know, and, and it's, it's funny because it's now only after really doing my podcast that I've really started to dive deep into bands that I kind of dismissed to my own detriment. And Mm -hmm. I think Rolling Stones is probably one of those. I I didn't really care for their 80s, 90s 
work all that much. So maybe, you know, maybe that had a, had a little bit to do with it. Sure. But, you know. Well, Mark, we love coming on the show and talking about a band that you don't necessarily love. We got pushing back on a Super Stones fan. Why don't you tell <laughs> our listeners about your podcast and where they can find you? I am the host for <laughs> Performance Anxiety on the Pantheon Podcast Network. Basically, the show is talking with mostly musicians, but a lot of other creatives as well. I've had chefs on, I've had photographers, artists, uh, basically about their career. And, and that it's a pretty deep dive into how they got into whatever creative endeavor they're in and how, how they moved from starting in that endeavor to where they are now. And uh, I've had some amazing guests on, like uh, Michael Giraffe from Swans, Mark Lanigan. I've had, oh. and I'm, I've, I've, we, I know we've touched on Zeppelin a lot because we all kind of love Zeppelin and Zeppelin is, is close to my heart, but I've had Jimmy Page's daughter on, I've had his girlfriend on, I've had Robert Plant's son-in-law on, and John Paul Jones's musical compatriot, Alan Johannes on, and John Bonham's sister on. So I've kind of circled around Led Zeppelin without actually having any members on, but I've got like 320 something episodes out so wow i've yeah i've, I've touched with the touched on a, a lot of different musical genres so whatever you like i'm sure there's something some something or someone on there that that any listener can find interesting excellent excellent no no stones either unfortunately <laughs> not yet not yet we're working on that. <laughs> all right well thank you so much for coming on the show uh, and all the best. Keep up the great work with performance anxiety. Let us know if we can ever do anything for you. Absolutely. We'll definitely, we'll, we'll, we should do another episode. I, I, I had so much fun, man. This, this was a blast. Well, that wraps our chat on Goat's Head Soup, the 1973 album from the Rolling Stones, wedged between Exile on Main Street and It's Only Rock and Roll. And we got to thank Mark from Performance Anxiety for coming on. You know, it was fun to talk with Mark. Not the biggest Stones fan, so I didn't know how that was exactly going to go. But I, I thought it was fun. It seemed like he had a good time. He had some good insights. And he's a funny guy. We all had a good time together celebrating this album as it turns 50 here at the end of August 2023. And some of the new songs or unreleased songs that just kind of came out in the deluxe edition a couple of years ago, including the track Scarlet featuring the immortal Jimmy Page. We thank Mark at Performance Anxiety. Definitely check out his show. He's got more than double the number of shows we have. And he's a little eclectic, but he's got some great guests on there. And he does a super job on the show. So definitely check him out. And if you need help shooting a band or an event in the D.C. area, he's a great photographer. Check him out for that as well. I have to admit, I'm sorry that Mick Taylor ever left the Rolling Stones. I thought that was the best lineup ever. No offense to Ronnie. Everybody loves Ronnie. But the slide work that Mick Taylor does is extraordinary. And if they'd just given him some writing credits, he probably would have stayed in the band a lot longer. And then who knows what the catalog from the mid to late 70s or even into the early 80s may have looked like for the Rolling Stones. Oh, well. So we want to know, as usual, do we get something right? Do we get something wrong? Do we miss the point? Do we leave out your favorite part? You got to let us know. You email us at UglyAmericanWerewolf at gmail.com. You let us know the bands, the concerts, the books, the movies, the DVDs, the rock properties that you want to hear us talk about. 
And make sure all of you record collectors get yourself over to rarevinyl.com and use the code UGLY to save yourself 10%. There's a ton of great Rolling Stones stuff on there, but there's a ton of all sorts of great stuff on there. You can only use the code once, so pick out a few things. Don't just get one $20 album. Pick up a bunch of stuff, save yourself $20 from rarevinyl.com using the code UGLY. And of course, Mark and Performance Anxiety are part of Pantheon Podcast, which we are a proud member as well. Check out PantheonPodcast.com to see all the great shows, including the new Metallica Report, straight from Metallica World Headquarters. And we should have some exciting news about that podcast here very soon. As far as next week's show, we have so much fun stuff going on. I don't even know what's going to come out next week. We've got some shows that we've already recorded. We've got some stuff we're going to do in the next week before episode 142 comes out. So I can't even tell you because I don't even know. Just know that we have got some great stuff lined up for you. Some stuff we're really excited about. And I'm going to change my tagline this week, folks. Because we started this during the pandemic, I would always say, be cool and stay safe. Stay safe is not a great rock and roll theme, right? It's not a great rock and roll slogan. I do want people to be safe, but sometimes being safe isn't very rock and roll. So from now on, to all of you, all of you rock and rollers around the world, be cool and keep rock alive. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.